Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Vienna winner Johanna Gart at the Grand Art Museum in in Vienna encounters Anne with a foreign visitor who's come to Austria because of a medical emergency. Never having been to Austria, with little money, she wanders the city in limbo, taking museum as her refuge. Johan, initially wary, offers her to, to help her, um, and basically they begin to form a relationship, a friendship that is a remarkable, and it's really the foundation of this wonderful new film by Jim Cohen, Museum Hours. Museum Hours is uh, playing here in the area uh, where you're hearing my voice in Irvine at the West Park Gate and uh, a remarkable movie. We're fortunate and honored to have with us today the director of uh, Museum Hours, uh, Jim Cohen. Jim, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, uh, It is uh, quite a remarkable movie and a lot on a lot of levels uh, the writing is wonderful very very sparse uh, dialogue but very poignant uh, as as in its uh, execution um, tell me a little bit about the story and uh, how you came to to make the film well um, the story is a simple one and uh, it really just result revolves around these two people who meet by chance and and find that the museum is a kind of fulcrum um, that draws them together and also kind of helps them to navigate things going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the characters are important and the story is important. She's in Vienna because a relative is is uh, is ill and in in, uh, in a coma in a hospital, and so she's kind of in in limbo while she attends to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but she's also sort of free to to wander the city, mm. and she begins to spend a lot of time at the museum where she meets this guard. Um, that said, I'm not really uh, a person who who feels that that narrative is is um, the most dominant goal uh, for for me in terms of filmmaking. Mm. I'm I'm known more for a documentary background, but even so, I, I tended not to do traditional documentaries, and they've often been kind of uh, hybrid blends between fiction and, and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the case of this film, uh, I became kind of entranced by particular paintings in this big old art museum in Vienna, the Kunstdorisch, um, and that kind of triggered the whole premise. So the narrative was almost secondary to that. And then eventually I decided that I wanted to try and make a film in which characters and ideas and these environments of the museum and the city were were really all on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they really, the film is weaving these different uh, elements together. And, right. Uh, um, are you, are you, um, your connection to Austria... Uh, um, 
are you from there? I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, not, not I, at all. No, I mean, okay. my connection has largely been forged through um, a great relationship with a great film festival, which is the Viennal. Okay. Um, they've shown my work for years, and in 2007, they, they commissioned a, a kind of big project, which was a, a projected images with live music uh, show called Empires of Tin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've kind of been there uh, many times, because of the festival, and every time that I went, I would also visit this uh, amazing art museum, and that led to this project. So, so did you have, that really is, you had in mind, after visiting a number of times, you had in your mind, I, I really want to do something here in Vienna, is that? Yeah, you know? I mean, I like the city, but mm-hmm. that particular museum has a particular room, uh, uh-huh. a collection of Bruegels, which is by far the finest collection of that painter's work in the world. He's uh-huh. a 16th century painter uh, and uh, he didn't he didn't leave that many paintings really between 40 and 50 so they have a whole room of them and it's called it's quite astonishing mm-hmm. um, a number of which are you know kind of very famous works um, yeah. but it, it it really because that painter was so important to the film um, I couldn't really have done this film anywhere else yeah it's beautiful and the the uh, just uh, from an uninformed art lover, uh, they're beautiful works um, and uh, quite striking, and and in in some ways look very modern. Um, the the paintings themselves. Yeah, I mean that's really one of the things that that struck me, and the the, the kinship that I felt with the paintings had a lot to do with a kind of reverberation that I felt um, in terms of my own work in documentary. Um, a lot of my documentary work is is actually kind of based in a street photography tradition where you just wander with a camera, um, usually without a set agenda, and you kind of have to deal with life as it comes at you, as it comes around the corner. And so there's a kind of randomness, but there's also a degree to which you, you have to act very quickly to kind of make sense of things and, and construct narratives and find which paths you want to follow and it's a very um particular way of working um that as i said has to do with a a street photography tradition but Mm -hmm. it also kind of feels like being an improv musician or something and i felt in his paintings which often have a whole lot of little things going on all over the frame, Mm -hmm. all over the canvas, uh, I just felt really drawn to them in in terms of documentary, in terms of that whole premise of of seeing the world um, not as a kind of uh, scripted thing where you're only told one story, but as a kind of realm of action in which many stories are being told and you wander amongst them. Yeah. This is one of the strengths of Museum Hours for me is uh, is watching it um is the space between um the the characters and the dialogue and the there's a distance there's there's a quiet to the film um that allows you as a, a viewer to um to really sink into their characters and and to un, to really at some point a, a much 
deeper understanding, although they, they remain enigmatic on, on some level, uh, but it's their interaction between the two of them that seems so genuine and so uh, unforced, uh, as well as this, as I described, the space between um, the, the, uh, between in the, in the way that you've shot it in the dialogue, in in the moment, the quiet moments of the film, that uh, just beautiful. It's just a really compelling on uh, for me on that level. Um, well, thanks, thanks. I mean, I, the whole film was really about kind of everybody having room to move, and that meant the actors, and that also means the viewer. Um, and because I actually, you know, wanted to take on some sort of heady kind of heady, heady ideas about art that I had been rolling around in my head for a long time, for many years, I actually wanted to do that within uh, a story that was very down-to-earth. And so the interaction between Anne and Johan is really very, it's very unpretentious. Yeah. And, and um, you know, they I, I needed them to be very believable and also to have some freedom to incorporate things from their own lives and and things that happened as we were shooting and 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 to bring that into the project in a very lively way um, so it was it was an interesting process where sometimes I was working um, with very scripted lines and sometimes it was it was very um, improv-based, um, guided improvisation, where they knew that there were certain things that we wanted to get at, but mm-hmm. but very free as well. Well, and what one of the... By the way, we're speaking with Jim Cohen, the director of Museum Hours. Um, you can go to museumhoursfilm.com, the website, and find out more about the film itself and where it's screening and uh, some of the background on it, as well as the background on the filmmaker Jim Cohen. Um one of the things that I liked about the dialogue, um, and it's very difficult. It, honestly, it's not. I couldn't tell you what was scripted and what was improv. Listening, watching the film, um, um, it all felt very natural. But what I liked uh, particularly about uh, Anne's character is um, she seemed very present uh, as as an actress as well as in her character. Right. She seemed very quick to engage uh, in this particular case, Johan, um, but their dialogue, while on some level uh, initially very cursory, sort of introductory type of dialogue, but at the same time, it felt very direct uh, that she herself was someone who, you know, was unsure why she was there, the the distance between her and and her uh, cousin, hadn't seen her in many years, but also felt a, a, a very strong familial obligation uh, and a sense uh, to be there, it all made it all the more um, poignant. And their and her and Johan's relationship, even though they knew each other for a very l- short period of time, getting to know one another again, they both felt like characters who were not interested in treading in the sort of banality of how's the weather kind of conversation. It felt very much like they were trying to get to some place in their dialogue. Right. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think they both did a remarkable job, and Mary, Mary Margaret O'Hara um, is mostly known as a musician, as an, an extraordinary uh, uh, singer and and composer. Um, 
I knew her through her music work and had been kind of in touch with her from the first time that I saw her perform about 25 years ago, and I always wanted to get her into a movie because I felt that she just had an amazing presence, and she's one of those people and actors who have a remarkable range of of kind of complicated emotion that they're able to that you know that sometimes they flicker over her face in yes. a matter of seconds and there's 10 different things going on and and it it really does have a um a very life like and and yeah. and life uh i don't know affirming feel to it um and and Bobby Summer, this was his first acting job. I, I when I first met him, he was he was working as a driver and a waiter, and you know he does has a, had all kinds of odd jobs and 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 interests. But um, there was something beautiful, uh, particularly in in his in his voice and the fact that he was able to read and to act uh, without a lot of forced drama. Um, so there's a kind of Subtlety in, in I think in both of their um, the work that, that that they did that I really um, I don't, couldn't have done the film without. Well, yeah, and to your point about Bobby Summer, um, just watching him, he does feel in watching him as an actor when you're seeing him sitting there in the museum in the room in the Bruegel room uh, that he 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 has the presence. He commands the presence of the camera when you're when when you're watching him, to seem like a man with a backstory, and the backstory that he tells happens to be pretty close to his his actual life. But it, it, he just has a presence about him, and um, very quiet. But but very again, both these actors, in my opinion, were very direct, and uh, just the the interaction between the two of them just it really uh, gave gives this film so much. Uh, resonance for me um and uh he, he's you know i, I just uh, I, I don't know I, and mary margaret O'Hara, you wanted to you said you wanted to cast her in something i by the way i saw her on uh, a show called night music probably oh, yeah. about, about yeah. 25 years ago david sanborn's old show and i only saw her once i only saw her do one song maybe she did two songs on the show but i thought who is this woman i got to know more about her and i found out and found out about her album and such and then she sort of disappeared so you've stayed in touch it sounds like and had her in mind for something and uh, i'm so glad i'm so very happy that you were able to to get her involved in this project yeah i mean she has done some acting here and there right. and she's quite wonderful and uh, she has a short but kind of pivotal role in uh Robert Frank and Rudy Wurlitzer's Candy Mountain, and you know that was a while ago, but I yeah. I, I did see her in that and thought that she was great. Yeah. Um, but you know it 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 uh, it's it is kind of incredible to me that I sort of it goes back 25 years of wanting to yeah. to work with her and and that it finally happened. Um, I'm really I feel I feel really honored, and you know it. it they worked really hard, and they—it's a little bit perilous if people start to think that they're that they're not acting because the, you know there are elements that are similar to their yeah. real yes. lives because you know some things are and some things are not at all. And you know, Bobby right. did work as a rock and roll 
tour manager in the late 70s, early 80s, um, but he, you know, is not a museum guard and was right. not a woodshop <laughs> teacher. And, yeah, there's a, it's, we're kind of just dancing in and out of, right. of what is real and what isn't. But the thing is that when you do that with people who are not super-known actors, there's a whole kind of realm of possibility that opens up. Because, you know, I mean, one thing I think, it's not that I don't appreciate you know, professional actors, they can be quite amazing at what they do. But you don't, you know, their their backstories tend to be other movies that you've seen them in. That's that, and, yeah. and if they work a lot, yeah. that's really how they've spent their lives. And so that's the experience that, that uh, kind of filters into their being, you know, is, is the movies that they've done. Right. And, it's that's a very different thing from someone who's like actually done a bunch of weird odd jobs um it it and you know it's also very different when you're not distracted by thinking of what kind of a job they're doing as an actor because i often find that very distracting in, in films with known people that you you even if you love what they're doing, you think about it in terms of their career, and you right. stop and you kind of think, oh, you know, they're doing a good job or they're not doing a good job. And in, in that in that thought process, you're you're often kind of distracted from the movie, you know, yeah. from what you are trying to be entirely immersed in. So I I I do really value working with either non-actors or or just somebody people who are not stars or or celebrities and and that's uh something that i think is still kind of denigrated in the american film industry in particular where stars are such a crucial part of of getting you know the old green light because that's where the money yeah. uh signs on so yeah, you know I, I i couldn't have i don't think i could have done this movie with with celebrities, even if I had had access to them. Yeah, and without, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this because I want to ask you some other questions I want to get to here, but I, I agree that once a, when an actor gets to a certain level, it's kind of a brand, they become a brand, and, and it's very difficult to unbrand yourself in, in terms of the film projects you're involved in and the American, or the, the viewing public. You become something other than uh, an actor who's trying to find uh, the truth in a role that they're trying to portray on the screen. They become, oh, you know, and it's very difficult to disappear into a role when you're right. when you're a well-known actor. So I, I can appreciate that, and it's tough. I, I mean, I don't blame them. It's just it is the nature of the beast in in so many ways. Uh, yeah, I do want to ask you about one particular scene um, that I was just so taken with, and um, with Mary Margaret O'Hare. She uh, she sings a song. She sings it a couple times, but the one where she's in the room and she's um, was that something that was scripted, or was that something that um, you? Um, she decided she wanted to do the song fits beautifully into the into the into the film and what the film is about. But what was what was that that particular scene? I'm just curious. Uh, um, well, I actually I, I brought her into the film not in, really intending to to make her sing because I, I I knew that she was quite um, capable of of giving an incredible performance without having to to. Um, yeah. To reference, you know, her her other life as a musician, but you know, in in the, in, in developing the the narrative that we were 
involved in, you know, we were talking about, okay, you're, you know, you're, you're in a hospital and you have to spend a lot of time with somebody who can't communicate with you. What, what would you do? You know, and, you know, you can, you could read to them. You could, yeah. you could, you know, read to yourself. You could stare out of the window. You could sing them a song and it felt very natural. Yeah. And then she, you know, came up with, uh, with this possible choice and it was just, you know, it just was kind of spot on perfect in, in terms of a kind of delicate relationship with the, with the themes at hand and also yeah. because it was a beautiful song. And, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't let her kind of sing it as she would on stage. And so there's a kind of occasionally a sort of tentative or right. searching quality to it that's very raw. And, you know, we, we, we just did it a couple of times kind of spontaneously one day right as the light was was failing and the light um, was natural light and it was growing dark in the room and hitting her face in a very remarkable way and it was just one of those things that you know you couldn't do to, you couldn't you couldn't do it again and either you got it or you didn't and I think that we did it's just beautiful it's just a stunning um, and it's an important part of the film and it really does move along um, what this film is about. And uh, by the way, um, we're speaking with uh, Jim Cohen, the director of uh, Museum Hours. And as I said, you can find out more about it at uh, museumhoursfilm.com. Um, as we wrap up, I just want to, uh, the reaction to the film, um, it's been, um, uh, to my reading, it's been uh, across the board, uh, very, very good. Um, surprised at the reaction, uh, encouraged, uh, you know, is it is it easier moving forward for you to continue to make the kind of movies you're making? How does this all kind of play into your your uh, artistry? As right, a, well, I, I'm a... I'm a long haul trucker. I'm this is you know I'm almost thirty years in doing this, and a lot of people, you know, out there will have never heard of me and and have had little opportunity to to, to encounter my work. Um, partly because I do believe in you know a certain kind of total control that is necessary for the maker. I have worked largely outside of the mainstream and uh, done a lot of. A lot of commercial, uh, not, not a lot of, excuse me, a lot of non-commercial work and almost no uh, commercial work at all, unless you count a couple of music videos here and there. Uh, and I didn't really want to do a lot of that either. But um, suffice to say, you know, I, I'm serious about it, and I've done I don't know probably over 60 films, and and a lot of them are shorts, but some of them are not. Um, you know, people might have encountered like the Fugazi documentary instrument, or maybe another documentary called Benjamin Smoke that I did with a guy named Pete Sillen. But as far as the, the this this reaction and the 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 life that that Museum Hours is is having, I'm completely um, astonished and and thrilled. And it's partly, um, I have to say, a tribute to the distributor Cinema Guild for having the guts to take it on. I mean, it it's it is, in, it, in its way, I think, a very accessible film. And some of the people who think of me as a more experimental director or whatever might be a little bit surprised because a lot of it is very down-to-earth and actually, you know, kind of there's like funny dialogue and that kind of thing. But I feel that it's 
completely continuous with what I've done before. And, you know, I did a, a film called Chain in 2004. That was also kind of a mix of fiction and nonfiction and dropping non-actors into real-world situations and kind of shooting with a very, very bare-bones crew. And so it, this feels very organic to me, but it is, you know, it's kind of up a higher level and it's being seen in a way that none of the ever the other work uh, ever had a chance to, especially in terms of theatrical. So uh. I am just absolutely thrilled. I, I don't necessarily expect that this will make things easier. I, I don't know how they'll ever get easier in, an, in a country that doesn't really uh, support, you know, work that is that is out of the mainstream and kind of happy, happily that way. But I hope it, I hope that, uh, I hope it, it indicates something healthy going on yeah. that people actually can accept an unusual film that is contemplative, is, is often very quiet, and kind of gives people uh, a whole territory where they can kind of make something for themselves. You know, they, they watch it, and for some people it's more documentary essay. For other people, it's all about the characters. For other people, it's a portrait of a city. I, I wanted it to be something where people were not just kind of dictated to. And it's just really wonderful to see that that uh, is actually kind of sailing on and people yeah. are rolling with it and yeah. not and not uh, as intimidated as, as, you know, you would expect that they might be given the way that movies are talked about and sold and and so I, I'm just really honored and thankful, and and it's a it's a real interesting moment to see it sail sail well, forth. Well, it's it's well deserved. I, I'm hoping that there's a little wind in your sail for uh, for future projects in terms of finding the the money and the and the distribution that uh, that is such a it can be so tough to come by. And I I'm I, I look forward much with much anticipation to I hope you're working on something now and I look forward to it. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Well, really thank for, you. It was uh, a pleasure to, to talk with you and, uh, and thanks for, you know, helping to spread the word about the movie. That's what matters. It, it's incredible how much word of mouth is still what makes all the difference in a theater. So um, yeah. I hope people give it a shot. Yeah. It's and by the way, just to remind listeners, it is opening, uh, uh, it continues to roll out across the, uh, the country. Uh, California and, and the coasts, as well as uh, as the uh, the rest of the country, and uh, please be on the lookout. I, I don't know if what the uh, the plan is for VOD or in moving forward in, into other platforms, but uh, it will move into all those platforms. I think we'll do it probably a DVD and a Blu-ray, hopefully by Christmas, and okay. I'm not sure when VOD uh, will happen, but but uh, Cinema Guild website will will make all that clear they're they're wonderful and you're absolutely i'm yeah i, I couldn't agree more they they they're uh, they're great people to be working with and thank you thank you so much for being here on film school okay thanks a lot yeah, bye-bye it. bye-bye you've been listening to film school radio the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.